Blog Talk Radio. National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and joining me today is James Morgan III for a conversation about his three times great grandfather, Reverend William Jefferson Hightower. James Morgan is an active and experienced genealogy and is a member of the James Dent Walker chapter of the Afro-American Historical and Genealogical Society. James serves as a member of the advisory board of the Bishop Henry McNeil Turner Project and is the author of The Lost Empire, Black Freemasonry in the Old West from 1867 to 1906, which was awarded the 2019 Dr. Charles H. Wesley Medal of History and the 2020 Phyllis Wheatley Book Award for Nonfiction Biography. James is a co-panelist on both Black Progen Live and the Prince Hall Think Tank both of which can be found on YouTube. So welcome to James Morgan. This is James, probably your fifth time on this show, and I'm just happy to welcome you back. Welcome, James. Well, well, I'm glad that I didn't uh, make everybody mad the first four times, so I'm just glad to be here, <laughs> uh, and I hope you're staying safe and everybody out there and uh, I'm just glad, glad that uh, to, to be here. I'm always, it's, it's always an honor when, when you ask me to come. It's always an honor. Well, it's always an honor to have you. So, James, let's start at kind of your beginning because we're talking about your three times great grandfather. So, how mm-hmm. did you even begin to learn about your three times great grandfather? So many people are still trying to find grandfather or great-grandfather, but we're at your three times great-grandfather. So how did you learn about him? Right. Well, uh, the story literally starts almost at the beginning of my life. Um, when I was about, uh, I think I was six years old at the time, uh, I was down in Dothan, Alabama. Now, people who know me know I'm actually from uh, the North New Jersey area, but uh, on my mother's side, I have some very deep Alabama roots. And... Um, when I was a child, you know, every summer I used to go to Alabama and visit my grandparents. 
And um, one day, my my grandmother woke me up. My, my grandparents were not were not married to each other, but they uh, they had been childhood friends, high school sweethearts, that whole thing. And um, you know, they went their separate ways rom- romantically, but they had my mother. And so, uh, you know, they went throughout their lives and you know, different parts of the country, but they both eventually settled back in Dothan, Alabama, where they were from. And so my uh, my grandmother woke me up one day and uh, basically told me that I was going to spend the day with my grandfather, uh, which, you know, okay, cool, great, no, no, no problem. This is actually the, uh, the first time that I remember meeting him. I know I, I, there are pictures of us together from when I was smaller than that, but I don't remember it. But in any event, we, uh, I went to go uh, hang out with my grandfather for the day, and he decides not to take me to a toy store or to a theme park or anything of that nature. He took me to church, <laughs> and uh, hmm. you know, it was, I think it was a Saturday. I think it was a Saturday, so it wasn't like we went to a service. We went to this big red church, and uh, he sat me down on the um, on the stairs, and uh, he told me the story of Reverend Hightower. Uh, he told me that uh, Reverend W. J. Hightower. Uh, which was his great grandfather on his father's side, um, that Reverend W. J. Hightower was a minister in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, uh, almost a hundred years. In this, I'm using his words, uh, almost a hundred years ago. So this was in 1995, 96 when he's telling me this. So he's going back to the 1890s, and he said that what happened was that when Reverend Hightower came to the city of Dothan. Uh, he became the pastor of this particular church, and that at the time that uh, Reverend Hightower decided to build a new building made of that he wanted bricks, and he raised money, went around the community uh, raising funds, and that when he finally got enough money to um, to purchase the bricks, that he approached the owner of the brickyard in the city, and the man refused to, refused to sell it to Reverend Hightower because he was – at that time, you know, they called us Negro and colored and all that stuff. Um, and so that was very, very, uh, you know, that left an imprint on me because I was a small child at the time, and, you know, Reverend Hightower's uh, name etched into the cornerstone of the building, and that had a real impact on me, uh, probably more so than I realized at the time um, because being from New Jersey, being a small child, you know, I was used to having to seeing buildings named after other people. Right and 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 to be honest with you, I, I don't know that there were a ton of buildings that I was aware of at that time in my hometown or in my home, you know, little area where I, where I was familiar with that were named for black people, and there definitely wasn't anything named for anybody in my family or or that had their names on it, right? Um, so so that gave mm-hmm. me kind of a sense of ownership and and belonging to this community and to this story. And at that time, you know, there were you know this is in the 1990s, so there were still people alive elders who had lived that story because what happened was that um, as I to go back to the story what happened was that once Reverend Hightower was refused these bricks he said okay no problem uh, he basically gathered together the community he used his uh, fellow ministers and not and not all necessarily AME ministers Baptists CME what have you uh, business contacts that he had uh, everybody came together and he told them his plan and so he initiated this plan whereby uh, the community, the black community, began to, um, to collect bricks, we'll use that word, <laughs> from any source that they could, whether it was a construction site, abandoned buildings. I'm sure somebody probably worked at the brick factory in the brickyard, and they probably were stealing bricks. But one of the, one of the biggest uh, things that, that people remember about this story is that 
even the small children were enlisted to collect bricks. And there were many stories of people who uh, can who would tell you that their mothers and fathers charged them when you go to school, find a brick. When mm-hmm. you come home, bring a brick home. We're not, we're not going to ask you where you got it from. Just find a brick. <laughs> and over time, they collected these bricks and were able to build Cherry Street AME Church, which its previous name was uh, was Gaines Chapel AME. Uh, but they, but Reverend Hightower built the church. He rotated it 90 degrees, the, the front entrance, and uh, he renamed it to Cherry Street AME Church. And that took place uh, actually right around this time in, uh, of the year in 1908. And today, Cherry Street AME Church is recognized as the mother AME Church of the state of Alabama, having been founded in 1877. Um, and it is also the longest, or, or excuse me, is also the uh, the longest standing religious edifice in the city of Dothan, Alabama, which is in the uh, southeastern corner of the state um, as well. So uh, it's a historical landmark in that community, and I'm very honored to be uh, not only his three times great-grandson, but, I'm in, but I am, in fact, his oldest three times great-grandson. So I guess in that regard, I'm, the, I'm like an heir to a legacy, right? So, um, so that's, that's yes. great. You know, I, I learned that story from grand, my grandfather, and um, it just kind of sat in the back of my mind for years. Well, that's such a fascinating story. So walk us through your process of verifying this oral history. Sure. So as I said, I was about six years old at the time when I first heard this story. Um, And to my recollection, I only went to that church in person um, at six years old, and then I remember going back to it when I would think I was about 12 or 13 um, mm-hmm. Didn't really think much of it, honestly. And to be a hundred percent honest with you, one of the reasons why I, why the name Reverend Hightower stuck with me so well, and this is probably the first time I'm saying this uh, in a recording, uh, is because when I was a kid, if you remember the Steve Harvey show, Steve Harvey's yes. character was Steve, his name was Steve Hightower. <laughs> so I always made that, you know, I always thought that was kind of interesting, right? Because I had never heard that name before. Um, and so what happened was that story sat in the back of my mind, sat in the back of my mind. And then here I am at about, you know, 20, 21 years old. I'm, I'm attending Howard University, and I'm pretty sure this was either my end of my junior year or beginning of my senior year. Um, I took a class with Dr. Charles Johnson, Charles D. Johnson, who uh, at that time was at Howard, now teaches at North Carolina Central, and he's also a member of OGS, of, of African-American Historical Genealogical Society. And he gave us an assignment where we had to research our family tree and come back with uh, and give an example of somebody in our family or some movement in African-American history that had affected our family, right? Um, whether it was the Great Migration, slavery, whatever. You know, it was our choice. And to be honest with you, you know, a lot of people may find this hard to believe who know me. There was a time when James Morgan III really did know his family history. I was interested in it, and I always had planned on kind of getting into doing this work, but I hadn't really done it. I was one of those people – that today I can't stand, which is I used to get like the two week uh, free trials for stuff, <laughs> yeah, and and then uh, and then I would try it out and then never then, then not like not touch it because I didn't want to put my card on there, but um, I didn't really know you know any history beyond my grandparents or excuse me beyond my great grandparents. Fortunately, I got to meet uh, four uh, of my great grandparents. Uh, my great grandfather just passed back in July, as you as you may recall, um, but in any event. The one person that stuck out, the one story that stuck out that I thought would impress people was this story about this Reverend Hightower. 
And, and I remember what my grandfather had told me. So I called my grandfather up, had him tell me the story again. And by this time, you know, I'm in my early 20s. I'm at Howard. And I said, well, if anybody can research this story and prove it, like, like you said, verifying that oral history, it, it's going to be me. At this time, I had no documentation, no images, no anything, just a story, and I knew where the church was. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you right now that it was very hard at first. And the reason for that I, I figured out you know, much later is that this story was important for me and for the community that I'm from or that my mother's family is from. But Reverend Hightower was not like a big national you know, figure per se. And so I, was, I just figured, oh, I'll go to the library, find a book on the AME church, and he'll be right there. Not the case, okay? Um, I was able to get enough information to, you know, turn in a, an assignment, do whatever the presentation was, and pass the class and graduate. But that really bothered me, that I had this great story of this ancestor, but I had no documentation really for it, right? So mm-hmm. one of the things that helped me in researching him or, or learning how to research him was getting involved in Prince Hall Freemasonry. You um, uh, had me on your show in the past to talk about that topic, and one of the things that you often hear me talk about is in researching the history of African-American Freemasonry, you have to end up researching African-American church, but particularly the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Um, there's a very, very close historical relationship there. And so in kind of learning those skills of how to research black social organizations, black fraternal organizations, I learned and understood the importance of organizational narrative. So in researching Reverend Hightower to get to, to, to answer your question, I had to first take a step back from my own oral history to some degree and really start researching from the beginning, not just Reverend Hightower, but researching the AME church's history as a whole to understand the history of Bishop Richard Allen and Absalom Jones and some of these other prominent uh, men and women of the church. I had to really dig deep into those records, such as going online uh, to look up the Christian Recorder newspaper, which is available on um, accessiblearchives.com and and other similar type of resources to really dive in, as well as reaching out to some of those more local community archives. Uh, I was very thankful that Dr. Marty Olif um, at Troy State University provided me with a, um, with a, with a, 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 image of a page from the Houston County, uh, the history or heritage of Houston County, which is a book that, uh, that was published down there that actually verified the story my grandfather told me. Uh, and it actually says I have it right here in front of me. Uh, and it says here that uh, this one little simple line, Reverend W.J. Hightower was the builder of the present church structure in 1908. You know, and there's, there's a whole section, about two pages on this particular church. Um, Finding that was very important, but I had to, again, start at the beginning, right? So if you don't mind, yes. I'm going to read you a very quick uh, quote, quote from this page to, so you can get an understanding oh, of where I'm coming from. Yeah. So this, is again, this again is from uh, the Heritage of Houston County, Alabama, page uh, 12 and 13, which states that the, the, the Colored Methodist Church records, organization, and date established are not available. However... It is recorded at the Houston County, Alabama Courthouse and the Henry County Courthouse that in 1877, Mrs. Elvira Guilford Davis gave a portion of land on the east side of Dothan to to the Colored Methodist Church. The first church was a small wooden building built on the extreme end of the property facing what is now 
East Adams Street, with a cemetery nearby. The church's name was changed to Gaines Chapel after 1888 when Bishop Wesley J. Gaines presided over Alabama. The present church is a larger brick building, which was completed in 1908. The name changed to Cherry Street AME after the completion of the new church. Church members brought bricks from wherever they could be found to erect the new church. Its location remained the same, but the front entrance faced 308 North Cherry Street. The first annual conference of Gaines Chapel AME was held in December 1901. The entertaining pastor was Reverend Still Paul Pryor, who also built the first parsonage in 1902. And then, as I said earlier, Reverend W.J. Hightower was the builder of the present church structure in 1908. So this one page gave me a chronology and a, and a basic understanding of time and place of where to find my ancestor and gave me names, locations, where can I, who else I need to be looking at to, to find him. So, James, let me just see if I, I get this. So you first mm-hmm. went to the Christian Recorder newspaper, and that what you read in the Christian Recorder newspaper took you to the uh, heritage uh, of Houston County, and that's where you found this particular uh, article? Well, well, what happened was I, I, I kind of did both simultaneously. Uh, I was looking okay. at, you know, what records, because one of, the, one of the disadvantages that I have doing this research is that, I, as you know, I live in the D.C. area. I'm from New Jersey. You know, I've been to Alabama, but I don't live there, right? So mm-hmm. I'm accessing, you know, the Library of Congress and other resources available to me where I live, but I'm also contacting other community archives at that time. So the page okay. that I got, I was able to get, what I just read to you, I was able to get from Dr. Marty Olive at Troy State University, which is a, a college, a, a university, uh, which is located right. in Alabama. Um, so he was very helpful to me. I reached out to a number of other um, AME uh, resources, such as, and I have to give a shout out to Dr. Dennis Dickerson. Uh, he recently published uh, a yet another book. Uh, he, he published a history of the AME Church um, earlier this month, and I highly encourage people to get that work. Dr. Dickerson, matter of fact, funny enough, Dr. Dickerson um, is the historiographer emeritus of the AME Church, you know, as a as a national or international body. But funny enough, in a conversation I had with him, he told me that his grandmother got baptized by Reverend Hightower <laughs> at Church. Wow. So yeah, yeah. So when I contacted him, he, there was some familiarity with that with with, um, mm-hmm. with that story. And um, I was very thankful for that. He also supplied me with resources, books uh, that, that he thought I should go check out, um, you know. And I just really had to kind of go bit by bit, piece by piece. Of course, we looked at the census records and whatnot, but I had to really learn the narrative of the church, which you're not going to necessarily get a lot of narrative, right, from some of the standard genealogical records that we look at. You get great information, but to kind of fill out that narrative, I needed to really start looking at community books, for, and, and the AME Church is an excellent resource um, for, for that, for family historians. Right. So what is the earliest known documentation mm-hmm. that you were able to find about the Reverend Hightower's career? Okay. So one of the things that I was able to do, you know, again, we have a lot of excellent resources available right online if only we use them properly. Um, mm-hmm. As far as his ministerial career goes, 
um, I was able to locate uh, documentation of him from 1891, uh, as early as 1891, in a book called uh, A Methodist Luminary, which was written by Reverend Winfield H. Mixon. Uh, Reverend Mixon lived in uh, Selma, Alabama. He was a very prominent minister um, in Alabama at that time, and he was a historian. Uh, he wrote. He wrote about. I know three books that he wrote. I only have two, access to two of them, unfortunately. But his first one, A Methodist Luminary, was kind of a um, a guidebook for a person. Like, let's say I'm a, just a regular, you know, guy walking down the street. If I picked up a Methodist Luminary and followed its instructions step by step by step, by the time I was done, I would be a licensed, certified AME minister. And hmm. one of the things, particularly, particularly a minister in Alabama, right? And mm-hmm. so one of the things that was in that book that was very uh, fortunate for me, and my, by the way, I found this book on happytrust.org, which I'm sure we, you, know, you, you know and I know a lot of your audience is familiar with. Oh, absolutely. Um, Happy Trust is, is a great digital library. Um, in that book on page 51 and 52, it actually lists out for a, uh, a student minister – how, or a potential minister, I should say, it lists out the names of all the certified licensed AME preachers in Alabama in the year 1891, from the bishops to the traveling elders to the presiding elders to the traveling deacons and the traveling licentiates. And by the way, let me just take a step back. I was born and raised a Baptist. I grew up, and look, regardless of what religious persuasion I am or, or I have or don't have today. I, I grew up and was baptized and christened in First Baptist Church in South Orange, New Jersey, where Pastor Terry Richardson is still a pastor, and I don't care who knows it. But that gave me a disadvantage at having a Baptist background because I didn't know anything about the AME Church's history, its structure, any of that. So, so those terms I just used, traveling elder, uh, licentiate, I didn't really know what that stuff meant. I mean, we, a lot of people who, who go to church, we say these things, Elder, bishop this, you know, elder that, bishop that. But do we really know and understand what those titles really mean and what they empower a person to do, right? So in finding this document, uh, Reverend Hightower was listed as a traveling licentiate in 1891. And I had to, you know, call Dr. Dickerson, call other AME ministers that I know, and ask what does that mean. And basically what that Mm -hmm. meant was that Reverend Hightower was – uh, probably a newly licensed, you know, exhorter at that time in the church, and that he was working his way up to becoming a minister, but he wasn't a full, fully fledged at that time. He was a student at that time, so that gave me a timeline. You know, again, you know, uh, one of my good friends, Dr. Shelley Murphy, always likes to talk about building timelines, right? So, 1891, I know he's a, that he's starting his ministerial career somewhere near the beginning of it. By 1908, he's fully fledged building churches, right? <laughs> Um, so that was one of the first documents that I was able to find, and I was very thankful for that. Uh, another document that also was generated from Reverend Nixon, which was a great, great resource for helping me build out narrative again, was uh, in 1902, Reverend Nixon published the official history of the AME Church in Alabama. Anybody listening to this conversation would know that's a book James definitely would have wanted to read, right? <laughs> And yes. I was very thankful that Reverend Hightower was mentioned in there. Uh, on page 132, Reverend Nixon stated, quote, Alabama is blessed with a great many 
young men in ministry. Special mention should be made of W.J. Hightower, among a list of others. You know, there are others on that list. But just finding that one reference let me know that this was a, ma- a young man at the time who was on the move and was starting to get noticed by some of the more prominent ministers of the state at that time. Well, I want to take you to another place. Since we are in, of course, knee-deep into this election, mm-hmm. I know that Reverend Hightower was also engaged in, in the political uh, political activities. So tell mm-hmm. us what you learned about Reverend Hightower and what did he do as far as politics was concerned? Certainly. So uh, in the 19th century, as uh, I'm sure many people know, uh, most African Americans were actually uh, affiliated with the Republican Party. Um, and Reverend Hightower was right along you know, in, the, in that crowd. Uh, one of the documents I was able to find uh, by using you know, simple newspaper.com searching, um, I was able to find that in 1896 that Reverend Hightower was uh, a delegate to the uh, Russell County, Alabama uh, Colored Republicans Convention. Uh, and at this convention, uh, he and, and, and a group of about four or five other gentlemen, other, some of them were ministers as well, uh, matter of fact, one of them was Bishop. Be, eventually, became uh, Bishop of the Andy Church of uh, Bishop Carey, C A R Y. Um, they were they became a delegation to go to the state Republican convention of that year, and they were given instructions to actually endorse William McKinley for President of the United States. Uh, another thing that they were made responsible for doing was to try everything that they could could to prevent a merger between the Republican Party of Alabama and the Populist Party. And at the time, you know, I didn't, again, I, what the heck is the Populist Party? I, did, I had no idea. Well, that um, was going to be my, research, my next I, question. What is the Populist Party? <laughs> yes. Right. So the Populist Party um, was a political party in the late 19th century that really was dedicated to um, protecting the rights of poor farmers, and by poor farmers they meant white farmers. Uh, and one of the things that, w- that they felt was one of the biggest att- uh, affronts to those rights was what they called Negro domination, uh, black people voting, holding political office, black men delivering mail and serving as postmasters and all this stuff. This was an affront to human civilization as far as some of these people were concerned. And one of the, th- the things that they wanted to do uh, in Alabama was had they been able to merge with the Republicans and get some of their candidates in office, they wanted to basically uh, remove black men, you know, primarily uh, black men from public political office or any type of government offices, as well as um, as well as eliminating black voting rights in the state of Alabama completely. And so we're fortunate that Reverend Hightower and his group, and I'm sure there were other uh, delegates from other counties there as well, that uh, we're very fortunate that in 1896 they were able to largely prevent. Uh, those measures from taking place, but by 1902, um, a lot of that ended up actually ended up taking place. But they were able to delay that by you know by by about six years. Uh, they were able to to basically kind of prevent that. Um, right. Again, my grandfather didn't tell me that part. <laughs> he and that's because he didn't you know I don't think that had been passed down to him. But finding that out and and I hear and I'll tell you sometimes you know we we I don't like to get super spiritual with people all the time because everybody has their different beliefs. But I'll tell you. That 
document that I found that detailed that information in the uh, in the I think it was the Russell County Register newspaper was dated March sixth of eighteen ninety six, right? Mm-hmm. The day that I found this particular document was March sixth of two thousand. I think it was two thousand seventeen or eighteen when I found that out. I actually found that document on the anniversary day of when that event actually took place. Wow. Well, and, maybe, and the proof is I, post, you know, I posted about it on my social media, so that was the proof. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you know, you say you don't want to get all spiritual. <laughs> Listen at me. But something was guiding you. I mean, first of all, mm-hmm. you remembered the oral history, but something took you through a path of which you would find all of the information on Reverend W.J. Hightower. And mm-hmm. I want you to talk about newspapers. What kind of information were you able to find on Reverend Hightower's in the newspaper? Awesome. Yeah, so we have to have a real appreciation for the black press of America, um, mm-hmm. you know, not just then but, but today as well. Uh, and I say that as a communications major, a communications graduate, um, at that time, many, many of these black published newspapers understood, a lot of these journalists understood the important work that they were doing of documenting the justices, or the injustices, rather, that were being done against black people. And so, as I mentioned earlier, the Christian Recorder is, if I'm not mistaken, the longest-running African-American published newspaper to this day. Uh, during Reverend Hightower's time, uh, one thing that I found, I actually have a book here at my house, which is a history of the Christian Recorder newspaper, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one time, the Christian Recorder, there was a lot of regional um, infighting going on in the AME church during the Reconstruction and post-Reconstruction years, which was rooted in the fact that primarily organizations like the AME church had been mostly for free blacks in the northern part of the country and some people in the far west, like California or what have you, but now they're penetrating the deep south. And so you have these northern bishops or people, or some of them were born in the south but were living in the north, trying to tell black people who lived in the south what to do and how they should be doing things. What ends up happening is the Christian Recorder ends up splitting off into three different papers at one time. There's the original Christian Recorder, the Western Recorder, and the Southern Christian Recorder. And fortunately, I was able to locate the Southern Christian Recorder on microfilm at the Library of Congress. I scanned everything, all of it, and I sat down and read it and started looking for patterns. So one thing I would recommend anyone interested in researching ministers, especially AME ministers, um, and this can also be used for other organizations as well, is learn when the conferences are taking place. I had to figure mm-hmm. out who were the important mm-hmm. bishops and leaders of the church at that time, and I did that through looking at the newspaper. Um, I was able to figure out when the Alabama State Conference met at that time, which was in uh, late November, early December of every year. So I would keep going to those issues. Um, eventually, in, uh, I found that in um, December of 1896, uh, Reverend Hightower was elected as a marshal for the Alabama A&B Conference, which was at that time being presided over by uh, Bishop Henry McNeil Turner, who was a very important figure in African-American history and who I've kind of adopted in my, my own mind 
as uh, one of Reverend Hightower's, you know, spiritual fathers, um, he, 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 he's interacting with Bishop Turner. For those who don't know who that is, Bishop Turner was uh, a man of national reputation at that time. He was a pioneer in the Back to Africa movement. Um, he's known as a father, a founding father of black nationalism, uh, black liberation theology. He was the first uh, chaplain uh, enlisted in the United States military with the first United States colored troops. He served in the Georgia legislature. I mean, just an awesome, awesome figure and very militant. You know, he, he, you, you can definitely hear the – whenever I talk about Bishop Turner, I would say you can hear the drumbeat of Marcus Garvey, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Elijah Muhammad. You can hear the drumbeat of those people coming when you listen or read Bishop Turner. This was somebody who Reverend Hightower studied under. I was able to find that out. I was able to also find other references to Reverend Hightower preaching at churches throughout the state of Alabama uh, during his early career. Uh, I actually have found in uh, the Dothan Eagle, uh, which is the, Do- the primary newspaper in Dothan, um, I was able to find references to Reverend Hightower um, having revivals to raise money for the church. So there's documentation in the newspaper, uh, although not entirely explicit, there's some substantiation, some evidence of the oral history that my grandfather had told me all those years ago just by going mm-hmm. to the newspaper. Last thing I'll tell you, uh, before we, uh, we go on to your next question, is that uh, you know we oftentimes will talk about the horrible things that happened in our community and to our, our ancestors. Um, we have to remember sometimes those things were documented, but they might not be documented right in the location where you know where the events took place. So yes, I found in research I wasn't even looking for this. Honest to God, I was not researching River High Tower, whatever day this was. But I was going through some Washington, D.C. newspapers, uh, the Colored American in particular, and I found this anonymous letter that had been sent from Dauphin, Alabama, to this paper in Washington, D.C., where I live. And the person, uh, I believe, was probably so scared, well, was probably too scared to publish it in a local paper, so they sent it to a black newspaper way up in D.C. And if you, if you allow me just a few moments, I'd like to read it to you. Sure. Um, it says, uh, it's called, the title is In Darkest Alabama. I wish to call attention to the manner in which our people are treated in Dothan, Alabama. A few days ago, a colored man was found dead swinging from a limb of a tree. He had been shot to death by some unknown person, and no effort has been, has been made by the officers of this community to find out who did it and, or why it was done. A few colored men were out riding a few Sundays ago when they were attacked by a mob of whites who broke down their buggy, drew pistols on them, and dared them to speak about it. A colored woman of our town brought some groceries of a white, of a white grocery man and ordered the things sent to her house. The things did not come, and not knowing that it was his custom to send orders out, she went back the next day and inquired about them. The grocery man malorated and beat her shamefully. We even do not have peace in our homes, for there is a crowd of whites who shoot in our houses. One of these crowds even attacked the colored people in the AME church a few weeks ago. We propose to build a new industrial school in our city soon, but the majority of the whites object, and if we build at all, we will have to erect it outside of the city. I will be surely glad 
to see the time come when some action will be taken against this mob violence. Wow. And when was this published? This was published in the Colored American newspaper, November 14, 1903, page 15. 1903. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Now, here's an example again of we have dots. And it's our job as researchers and scholars to collect to connect these dots. Yes. We know, now you you may have heard when I said that this crowd attacked this school, uh, attacked the, the people in the AME Church, which of course you know at that time Gaines Chapel, now Cherry Street, uh, was the that was the AME Church in the city. Now there's more, but there, at that time there weren't. Um. But one of the lines that stuck out to me was the line after that where they said that the, the black community was proposing to build a new industrial school. And if they couldn't build it in Dothan, they were going to build it outside of Dothan, right? Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Mm-hmm. They did build that school. And the person who it was named for and who headed that, uh, that new school, his name was Reverend Still Paul Pryor. Reverend Pryor was the first pastor of what we now call Cherry Street AME Church. Reverend Hightower was his immediate successor. So that gave me some context to understand, because, again, Reverend Hightower, well, I didn't say it, but Reverend Hightower becomes the minister of Cherry Street Church. We don't know exactly what date, but sometime right around when this happened or right after this event occurred, when this was published, Reverend Hightower becomes the pastor of this church somewhere in that time period. Reverend Pryor leaves Dothan and goes to the city of Enterprise, which is not terribly far away, and sets up the S.P. Pryor Industrial School, where he's the head of, which I also found in the newspaper because there were some black people who thought it was a little uh, conceited of him to, to, to raise money to build a school and name it after himself. But, <laughs> you know, I found that in the newspaper too, <laughs> that, you know. Um, really? But this yes. thing, again, helped me to get oriented. It's helped me, it's helped me get oriented as to – you know, Reverend Hightower's life, all from, all from newspapers. Well, it just put in context everything that was going on during that period of his life. And, you know, mm-hmm. one of the things that when we talk about genealogy, we talk about uh, putting meat on the bones to tell mm-hmm. the story. And so you're not just collecting, oh, when he was born on the census. You're talking about all the different types of events that took place during his life, and those events had an impact on the community. Now, there is Mm -hmm. a question that I just received from someone, and they wanted to know, have your Hightower ancestors always been in Alabama? Uh, Did they also have any connections to the Hightowers in South Carolina? Right. Um, no, they, they were not always in Alabama. Um, so let me step back again. So one of, so there were kind of two big events that um, led me to start researching Reverend Hightower. Um, I already mentioned the first one when my, when my grandfather told me the story. I, met, I mentioned the, uh, the first, I mentioned the second one rather when, um, when I was at Howard. But there's another one. There's a third one, which is after I graduated Howard University, uh, I, I'll be honest with you, you know, I went about a good 10, 11, 12 months, however long it was, basically unemployed, <laughs> right? And so genealogy mm-hmm. kind of became one of my outlets um, while I was trying to find a job. 
and I was calling my grandfather one day, talking to him about some of the research I was doing, trying to stay productive. Uh, and um, I never forget this conversation. The words I exactly said to him, I said, you know, Granddad, I really wish we had a photo of Reverend Hightower because I would really love to know what he looked like. And my grandfather said, oh, I got his photo right here. <laughs> I said, oh, well, wow. Well, well you, you, you have a picture of him. Well, you never, why didn't you ever give that to me? You never showed me that. He said, well, you never asked for it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so literally within five minutes of me saying that, he emailed me a picture of Reverend Hightower along with some other family photos. Right, and um, when I saw the picture, which I know, which I know you've seen, and, I, and your, your listeners can will see on the uh, the blog talk page, um, the first thing that struck me, you know, if you look at me, I look like a child of Africa. I'm a black man through and through, phenotypically, right? Uh, when I first saw Reverend Hightower and saw that skin tone and that hair texture, I my jaw dropped, and I said. I said, Granddad, I don't look anything like this man. And he laughed and said, well, James, that's because his dad was a white man. That's because his daddy was a white man. So now I'm on a quest to figure out who was this white man and who was Reverend Hightower's mother. Um, I was able to use DNA evidence, documentation, um, and whatnot, and I basically was able to discern uh, through, and and combining with my family's oral history, that Reverend Hightower's father uh, was most likely a man by the name of Robert Tarplin Hightower. Uh, he was a white man who lived in Barber County. Uh, him and his brothers um, had migrated there. They did have uh, roots in the Carolinas and Virginia um, as well. Um, they actually migrated into Alabama by helping to push the, the Indian Removal Act, right, helping to push the indigenous people of, of this country uh, further west, and they were, and they, they were actually granted land grants um, as well from the, from the federal government. Um, and so the story goes that uh, the way that it was passed down in my family is that after Reverend Hightower's birth, his mother, who was you know formerly enslaved, we found out that her name was Mahalia Baldwin Grubbs. Sometimes she's mentioned as Reverend High or as Mahalia Hightower. Uh, that they came to some kind of agreement, believe it or not, that uh, that his father would make sure that he was educated, and he uh, had him trained, had Reverend Hightower trained as a brick mason and as a carpenter and had him trained, had him, you know, to learn his, you know, reading and writing and what have you. And uh, this is the story that had been passed down basically. And so when I found that out, of course I wanted to go deeper. And I did that through DNA, um, researching the Hightower family back. Um, my knowledge of his African side really stops at his mother. I don't know much of, of anything of her origin, but as far as his father goes, the white, the, 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 the Caucasian high towers history goes way back, and, and uh, I believe a lot of the American kind of genealogical wisdom that's out there is that people who are bloodline, uh, by people I mean Americans, Americans who have a bloodline tied to that high tower name, trace back to uh, a Joshua uh, high tower in Virginia, uh, which, if my research is correct, I'd be a descendant of him too. That which connects all the, you know, bloodline high tower families. Um, throughout the country based on, I, I, I think I read that, I can't remember where, but that's what a, kind of the genealogical wisdom of the of the day kind of says, but I haven't really gotten that deep into that part just yet. Well, James, you have really shared some phenomenal uh, information with us uh, concerning your research journey. 
to gather additional information on Reverend Hightower. And I'd like you just to give us some closing remarks for those who may also obtain information through oral history. What would you recommend mm-hmm. to them? The first thing I would do is to say to, is to use oral history as a guide, not as and, and to take it seriously, take oral history seriously, but don't use it as a as the end all be all. As the mm-hmm. well, just because Grandmama said that Grandmama might be going in the right direction, but she might not have all the details. There may even be more to it, or it may be deeper than what you're told. Um, you know, we didn't have time to, today to get into every detail, but I, you know, Reverend Hightower was a trustee of a university of an HBCU. He was a Prince Hall Mason like myself. He was a father. He was all these different things that. The, the history that was told to me, my grandfather, you know, I, he probably didn't, I, I'm pretty sure he didn't know that Reverend Hightower had gone through these political conventions and things, but he knew enough to get me in the right direction. My job was to take it seriously enough to research it, and like you just said, to start putting meat on those bones. So I, I always say when I hear oral history, I use it as a guide, um, and a lot of times it will be correct. More often than not, I, I find that uh, you know, there are times where you know you swing and you miss, but a lot of times I find that if you have stories like this uh, passed down to your family, there's something to it. But it's your job to mm-hmm. put, the, put the meat on the bones. Absolutely. Well, James, I want to thank you for coming on today to share with us the story of Reverend Hightower. And for all the rest of you, remember, your ancestors left footprints. And although James started with oral history, can you imagine all of what he uncovered? James, you actually followed those footprints. You followed those Mm -hmm. footprints in the Christian recorder, various newspapers, the historical societies. I mean, this is something that we all can learn from. So you provided us with the best lesson possible, and I want to thank you for joining me today. And I look forward to all of you joining me soon. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Thank you so very much. Bye-bye, James. Goodbye.